There are uh, times in life that just kind of seem to naturally present themselves as opportunities for concerted reflection and praise. And uh, Thanksgiving is one of those times if we will let it be that. Uh, throughout this year, as a church, we've been uh, on a walk with God, a God at work walk in the life of David. Um, it's not been a smooth road for David. It was not an easy road for David by any means. I mean, for a decade, he's living on the run. Imagine that. A decade. A decade living on the run for your life. Then when he became king, he really became king of kind of a very divided people. And then we come into what's recently been just some of the personal and family chaos and tragedy in David's life. And it's interesting because when you think about it, such a life like that, I mean, a life on the run, a life as a king, a life just with life tragedies that we've been seeing here in, in recent Sundays and kind of the latter half of Second Samuel, you would think that that kind of life would not be the kind of life that would, well, position itself for concerted times of reflection. And yet, David is the most prolific psalmist in all of scripture. Second Samuel 22 is a psalm of David. It's repeated in, as Psalm 18. It's a looking back psalm. And it's the intentional consideration of a period of time in his life and seeing and declaring what God has done. It's concerted reflection and praise. It's a psalm. Psalms are song. Psalms are poetry. Psalms are not the didactic, just declare it, just say it. Put it on the table. Psalms, psalms they're words that sing. It's language that is intended to be felt. If you're not a feeler, it's time to feel the psalm. Psalms are intended to be felt. It's language that pictures. Psalms inspire. If I were to say it this way, psalms make truth beautiful. Psalms make truth beautiful. It's been said that uh, we cannot see our reflection in running water. Picture it. Picture it with me. Look in running water. It, you just kind of see gobbledygook. That's a Hebrew word. We cannot see our reflection in, in running water. It is only in still water. 
that we can see. Most of our life is on the run, isn't it? Most of our life is, I think, looking in running water. And that's just a reality. But there is still water. The question is, is are we willing to go find some still water? And then are we willing to sit in it and reflect? I wish I would have been a more reflective man. Especially when I was younger. As I've aged, it's, I don't know. I've shared with you, I turned 60 here recently, and by the way, I'm still reading cards that have been sent. I'm treating them like dove dark chocolates. So thank you. Um, When I look back, particularly my younger days, life was full. (laughs) It still is. But somehow reflecting has just become more natural. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is I actually have more days behind me than I have ahead of me. That's just the truth. I think back to days when, man, building a marriage, building a family, building a house, building a business, growing in Christ, serving at church, discipling some men. It was all wonderful. But for me, honestly, transparently, I lacked the art of reflection. It was just go, go, go. I wasn't very good at psalming. I don't think I'm still very good at psalming. David was a good psalmer. On the run for his life, a king. That's got to be a busy schedule. Fighting his own personal demons. Fighting just family chaos. And yet he's the most prolific psalmist in the scripture. (laughs) Imagine. Imagine all the highs and the lows of your life penned down. And then printed in the annals of scripture for all to read. Man, that's gutsy. Think what you might of David, but he was reflective and he was a psalming man. Routinely looking back, routinely putting thoughts and praise to paper. He was a man intent on making truth beautiful. A king like that. Lord, I pray as we dive into your word that uh, your truth would be made beautiful. Amen. 2 Samuel 22, it's a looking back psalm. Use one of the Bibles there in the seats, it's page 255. 
these 51 verses sing. I mean, it's a psalm. And they sing God as the central source and the active force of David's life. Let me say that again. These verses sing of God, of Yahweh, as the central source and the active force of David's life. It's intensely vertical. It's genuinely authentic. It's deeply relational. And I'll tell you, it's sheer beauty if we will hear it. <laughs> we Westerners tend to unsalm the Psalms. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine when uh, teachers will get up, and there's a time for it. There's a time for it, but when teachers will get up and they'll take a psalm and they'll westernize it. What do I mean by that? You know, we outline it. We analyze it. We categorize it. Oh, yeah. And then uh, guys like me, you know, you got to have the same starting letter in the outline. Because that's the way Jesus did it. Not. I'd say it this way. We didactic the Psalms. If you know what didactic is, grab your phone, type it in, get the definition. My mom used to do that. We unsing the song. Not today. Today, no outlines, no to do lists, no cute alliterations, no operating procedures. It's just us. Sunday before Thanksgiving, God's word on our lap. And let's hear David sing. The setting for the psalm, it's in verse one. David says, and David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. We don't know exactly when that is. I'm just gonna put it on the table. I, I think when David is writing this this psalm is, is maybe very, it uh, could even be between First uh, uh, Samuel and Second Samuel. Remember First Samuel? There's like a decade of time when David is on the run for his life. Beginning of Second Samuel, it, God's pulling him out of all that. It could be right in that. I, I think clearly that what David is about, we're about to read, and what David writes here is, is before it gets into the whole middle part of Second Samuel and the David and Bathsheba and just the chaos and the darkness of life of things. But it's been dark before this. I mean, David's been on the run for his life, and I think in here he's looking back on the, on those days when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. They were torturous days days for him. Can you imagine a king chasing you down to take you out? It's important to understand that because he's writing this after a boatload of life hurt. After a boatload of wondering, What's, what do I do tomorrow? After a boatload of probably even, God, what are you doing? Can you relate to that? He's writing it after a season of that time. By the way, after he writes this, it's not like he has no more adversities or adversaries in the future. 
He's just at a moment in time looking back and reflecting. And what does he say out of all this? He said, verse 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. You know, when, when we uh, write out a text or a message or write down, we put the exclamation point at the end of the sentence to kind of go bam on that. He's putting it in the front. And, and David is, has this explosion of song. It's not the guitar playing, the drum quietly playing. It's like a wham right out of the gate. David like uh, hits the high notes and the fullness of it all. It's like the scene at Revelation 4 and 5 where the presbyteros and, and all those are around the throne of God and they're falling and laying their crowns and worshiping 24-7. By the way, isn't it interesting? We just see that and we think that and we go, man, at what point in time does that get boring? And they're like, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else doing anything else because every second of every day I am beholding God doing something more crazy, more awesome, more wonderful, more beautiful. I don't want to be anywhere else but right here. And David starts out that way. It's intensely vertical. God is the central source and the active force of his life. You see how deeply relational and genuine it is? It's not the Lord that is far off is a rock. No, no, no. It's my God is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. He is my God. He is my refuge, my shield. I got to tell you, friends, as you can tell, I'm really intense about this because I want this. David understands a thing with God that is so tight and so close that he's not throwing out theological concepts just to go, oh, that's cool. He's relating it to his life. And it's beautiful. I would suggest that this is what abiding looks like. We think of abiding as, hey, grab a burger, grab a pizza, let's sit down, Jesus, and like, let's hang, man. I don't know. I think this is more what abiding looks like. So odd and so taken out of yourself and so taken over the top and awed by God and what he is doing in life and just you can't believe it, but you just got to express it with exclamation point after exclamation point. I want that. In this note that David is, the rock of David's life is not his own self-knowledge. David is not his own fortress. His fortress is not his self-wisdom. His deliverer is not his own personal skill set. His refuge is not his self-esteem. His shield is not his money, it's not his position, it's not his looks, it's not his connections, it's not his career, it's not his image, it's not his own personal comfort. His savior is not his politics. His savior is not his academics. 
His Savior is not his friends, not his spouse, not his children, not his approval, not his media likes. Instead, his awesome, radiant God, I wish I could say that even, awesomer. God is his rock. God is his fortress. God is his deliverer. God is his refuge. And you don't experience any of those if you don't go through hardships. You want to see God awesome as a refuge? You got to have storms. You want to see God as a deliverer? You got to be chased after. We cry out for, remove us from the, comf- from the uncomfort and make comfort the idol. And God's like, no, you, I love you, but you don't understand. I got to keep you there. But I don't want to. <laughs> no, but you need to. Because if you don't, you won't see me. And if I don't, you won't need me. And you will become your own God. And that's bad. And David is reflecting on all his hurt and going, God is in it. God is doing work. Friends, I'm telling you, that is not fluffy theology. That is the depth of God. He is a central source. He is our active force. And he continues, for the ways of death encompassed me. He's now telling why he had the exclamation point at the beginning. For the ways of death encompassed me. The torments of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. You see, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. I love this. And from his temple, he heard my voice. Pause. Hey, created in the image of God, but on the whole of it, we're itty bitty. And yet the God of the universe... He wants to hear. He will hear. That's a God that desires to be engaged. Man, I'm just telling you, that is so genuinely authentic and so relationally wonderful. From his temple, he heard my voice, my voice and my cry. It came to his ears. It didn't go through a structural system. It wasn't on email hold. He didn't have an admin assistant who will just process it to save him the hassle. It's direct. Oh, and then he just can't. He unleashes now. He heard... And then verse 8, then the earth reeled 
and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. By the way, not with David, but David's looking back and seeing these times where God showed up in righteous anger and smoke went up from his nostrils devouring fire from his mouth. I'm telling you, friends, go to Revelation 19 and read the Lord's return. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He, he, he bowed the heavens. He spread out the heavens and he came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. Remember, this is song. This is picturing. This is a psalm. Let's not unsalm it. And he was seen on the wings of the wind. And he made darkness around him, his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water out of the brightness before him, coals, fire, flamed forth. And the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Hey, God's people, behold your God. God is not some grandpa in the sky. He is not some lethargic Lord. He is not a distracted divinity. Our God works according to his perfect timing, his perfect purposes, his perfect ways for his perfect glory. And you see, what we want is like, uh, uh, I want that now. I mean, like, I want that every moment of every day. No, but we're forgetting the whole setting of it. Dave's been in a decade plus of turmoil and he's looking back at the turmoil and he's reflecting upon, I would submit those um, in the whole of 10 years, those few times where God just came and was like, wham, bam. Pray for those. But know this, David is not describing his every day. David is describing the moment when God stepped in in a victorious way. But you got to understand this. The God who steps in in moments like this in a victorious way, like this is the same God that sits on the throne, who bends his ear and who listens and is involved and engaged and sometimes says, nope, I'm not coming to take care of that now because I actually need you in that so you will lean into me more, so that you will learn from me more. We are the children. He is the father. And David is singing it and describing it in words that just enrapture us. It should to make us just like, oh yeah, that's my God. Oh, God's people, behold your God. And he continues, verse 17. He sent from on high, he reached from on high, and he took me. He drew me out of many waters, and he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. 
for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. But it's really important to understand that because uh, uh, in the moments of calamity, the Lord didn't always show up every day like he just described, but in the moments of calamity, the Lord was always his support. What do you do with the support? You lean on it. You hold on to it. You hang tightly to it. David is describing God as the one who steps in in those glorious, victorious moments and God who is the one who is the sustainer throughout all of the moments. Verse 20, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. By the way, if you start thinking that maybe David's getting a little arrogant with his thinking about himself, it's just going to explode here in a minute. First, remember that this is a psalm and David is singing his truth made beautiful. And might I even just note on this, I'm sure you were there this week, but Zephaniah 3.17 says this, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. I just made mention a little bit ago that we're, we're itty-bitty in comparison to so many things, but know this, there's no, nothing else in all of creation created in the image of God, and the Lord delights in us itty-bitties. Because in his eyes, we're not itty-bitties. Revelation 1.5 says, to him who loves us. Hey, I just want to say something. He loves you. He loves you. I don't want to leave anybody else out. He loves you. Oh yeah, and you don't get the leftovers, you get the exact same thing. He loves you. And we are so works-oriented that we don't understand this kind of grace. We think I got to put it out because God is going to sit me down and have a review and remove my, uh, reduce my wages, kick me out. Maybe he'll even turn his back on me. No, it doesn't work that way, friend. Even in our stupidity, he loves us. No, he doesn't, Doug. Oh, yes, he does. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us, not conditionalized. Verse 23, for all his rules were before me. From his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him. Hold on to that. Well, it'll make sense here in a little bit. And I kept myself from guilt, and the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness. In a sight, Doug, you just said it's not by works. No, 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 but uh, it sure sounds like works. Hang on, because we can't get there. Verse 26, with the merciful, you show your merciful. With the blameless, man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. With the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord. Remember, this is song. This is a psalm. And my God lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. Verse 31, this God 
This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Know this, David is not like putting himself out there like, I'm awesome. Okay, he's not like bleeding that in there somehow. I think he's actually looking back at the period of his life where in this period time of life, David actually, on the whole of it all, David was faithful to the Lord. And as we're gonna see here in just a minute, even David's own faithfulness to the Lord, him stating that, man, that was a faithful time. My goodness, you know, it was, I just was pursuing, I was like, I was on game because heaven knows when he hit chapter 11, he's off game. But even in it, just a second, he's gonna essentially point to the fact that it's not my credit, God's the one who allowed me to be faithful. I can't even take credit for doing good. Because any good that you or I would do is God's credit. And we can say, man, that was smoking. That was awesome. I was on game with that. But praise the Lord who did it. I'm kind of cranked up. Can you tell? Verse 32. For who is God? Oh, but the Lord. And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. You see, God's the one who's made the way that. He made my feet like the deer of a, 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 of a, a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them, I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet, why? For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me, I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I, I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them as a mire. I'm telling you, this is like gladiator days, friends. Understand the setting. And you delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me on the head, as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came uh, cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Listen, listen this is like David is giving these moments of, listen, listen this is what I did. And it was like awesome. Hey friend, there's nothing wrong with looking back and going, my goodness, uh, that was a success time. Man, uh, look what happened there that I was able to do. Whoa, Sam, look at there. Oh, but know this, don't get stuck there. Because what David's doing is giving these moments where he's like, yeah, this was on game. It was success that was going on. You can't deny it. And then he steps back and he says, the Lord did it. The Lord was the enabler. And so in our culture, 
If you're wealthy, if you're powerful, if you're really smart, if you're really good looking, if you've got like a bazillion followers, if you've got whatever it is that we value as big, know this, it's not you. Get over yourself if you think it is. Stop it. And give the praise to who it's deserved. Verse 47, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. And exalted be my God. The rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me. The God who brought me out from my enemies. The God, you, uh, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the men of violence. And for this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, Sing praises to your name. Oh, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Wow. Psalms are words that sing, it's language that is intended to be felt. It is language that is intended to offer pictures. It is language that leaves us pondering. I mean, even sitting with this psalm, there are times where you go, but how that? And Why would you say it that way? Hey, don't unsalm it, lean into it. It's pulling us in. It's drawing us in. It's inspiring us to think. It's truth made beautiful. And we Westerners, Westerners, we often make truth outlined, spreadsheeted, and alliterated, academic, Had God not allowed the torrential wind of life into David's life, he would have no need for a strong rock. Had God not allowed battles and war into David's life, he would have no need for a fortress. Had God not allowed an arsenal of enemy missiles to be unleashed on his life. He would have no need for a divine refuge. Had God not allowed waves of death to encompass him, David would have no need for a salvation bringing Savior. Had God not allowed adversities and adversaries to assail him, David would have no need for a mighty rescuer. 
Had God not allowed the depths of distress to infiltrate his life, David would not have had a need to call upon the Lord. Had God not allowed Sheol to entangle him, David would not have had a need for a mighty warrior, earth rocking, nostril flaming, God thundering king. Take the torments of David's life and those experiences away and there is no psalm in chapter 22. It's founded on that. We want out of the torrent. I do. It's been a pretty torrential couple weeks for me personally, my wife. Just with situations. God, take it away, would you please? But take them away and there's no need to lean in. Because we can get by in comfort. We can make do. And I would suggest that the torrential times of life are the times of life that the Lord uses to show us him and our need for him. Thanksgiving is upon us. I'm going to guess for you that the waters of life probably running pretty active this week for most. I mean, the shopping and the turkey cooking and the family enduring. And the but there is some still water. You just might have to go hunt for it. I promise, if you search for some still water time, it's there. It's there. Still water time really only takes three things. It takes the will to take some still water time. It takes a seat to sit there in the still water. And it takes a mind that's willing to reflect in it. Worship team, if you'd get in place. The Valley of the Vision. Prayer called Kept 
by God. Thou creator, upholder, proprietor of all things, I cannot escape from thy presence or control, nor do I desire to do so. My privilege is to be under the agency of omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, grace. Thou art love with more than parental affection. I admire thy heart, adore uh, thy wisdom, stand in awe of thy power, abase myself before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish my fear, allure me into thy presence, help me to bewail and confess my sins. When I review my past guilt and am conscious conscious of my present unworthiness, I tremble to come to thee. I whose foundation is in the dust, I who have condemned thy goodness, defied thy power, trampled upon thy love, rendered myself worthy of eternal death, but... My recovery cannot spring from any cause in me. For I can destroy, but cannot save myself. Yet thou hast laid help on one that is mighty. For there is mercy with thee and exceeding riches in thy kindness through Jesus. May I always feel my need of him. Let thy restored joy be my strength. May it keep me from lusting after the world. Bear up heart and mind in loss of comfort. And live in me in the valley of death. Work in me the image of the heavenly and give me to enjoy the first fruits of spirituality such as angels and departed saints know. Amen.